Hell yeah. Alright. 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 I'm officially back. Yes. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Blacking Podcast. My name is Jake Kerr, and today we're doing a solo podcast. Now, this is something that I haven't done for a short while because, honestly, I thought that no one really cared. It's not that I think you care anymore. It's just I think that my story is as valid as the next person's story. And I believe the podcasts that I watch keep me human in a way. I believe that they encourage me to continue being creative and to continue being weird and can continue to discover myself and discover the world around me and kind of figure out who this person is that I'm kind of living out their experience. So I hope in some sort of way that this podcast that I do for you helps you in that same way. And even though I have a feeling of like who's listening to what I'm speaking about and who cares about what I'm talking about, I do have some sort of feeling within me that this path that I'm on and the story that I'm telling is kind of unique. And for that reason, even if it's just for me to look back on in 20 years and go like, oh, look at 30 year old Jake having a yarn, then why not? So here I am doing it again, solo podcast. I'm going to continue to do solo podcasts. I'm going to actually make this a part of the fabric of Black Ink because I believe that there's something here about the documentation and the record keeping of the progress and the process that is so valuable. As I said, if not just to me in the future, just to people in general, because wow, you know, I was driving trucks not long ago and now I literally have a, a design studio where I turn ideas into physical things that people can be excited about and take home and, you know, cherish as assets. So, Let's talk about what's been going on, right? What the hell is happening in the world of black ink? Now, firstly, this big uh, kind of, what would you call it, realization or actualization of me realizing that perhaps my story and perhaps my podcast is valuable to other people comes from exactly what I said, me having that feeling with other people's podcasts. Now, you may or may not know that the Club Good podcast is a podcast uh, hosted by Scott Meller and Josh Gray up in Perth. Uh, they're two ex-promoters or club night organizers and basically they just got together and started doing a podcast. I believe there are about 70 or 80 episodes in now and for a good portion of those episodes I actually got the privilege of editing all of their reels that they used on uh, Instagram and Snapchat. Not Snapchat, uh, TikTok. So I originally, how it goes was I listened to the podcast because I had a friend on there and i I was like, oh, these guys from Perth are super relatable. They're like a couple steps ahead of me in graphic design and in like putting these kind of digital assets together. And that was really exciting for me to see that there was someone, not that I knew, but that was relatable, that was doing something and making really cool results. And that kind of opened up the door for me to be, you know, a bit more of a creative genius is the words that I like to use. So when I first saw my friend on the podcast, I was like, oh, I'm definitely going to be listening to this podcast every week. And I started to communicate with the guy, whoever I was going to say the guys, not the guy, because I know the guys now. Um, I was communicating with whoever was behind the Instagram page, just saying, hey, if you ever need a guest, I've got some interesting stories. You know, I've been strip searched in Colombia. I've, you know, had a an OF account. I've, I've done a few things here and there. So if you are interested in having someone, you know, Bunbury boy on your podcast, let me know. And it was kind of like a, Cool, man. Thank you. We'll keep that in mind. I mean, I didn't know they had access to really cool people at the time. I just thought I was a cool person on some sort of path and maybe you wanted to hear about my story. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's not. I'm not having a shot at them for that. It's like I'm, I'm accepting the fact that I wasn't that interesting then. I'm probably not that interesting now, but I digress. So they ended up putting out a story up on their uh, Instagram saying, hey, is anybody interested in doing our short form content for us? 
And I had actually got one of the, I had actually got Scott's mobile number for a side project that I was working on that I wanted some advice for that I knew he would be able to point me in the right direction. So I called him and I was like, dude, I think I messaged him. I'm like, dude, I'm the guy to make you content. I already love the podcast. I already know all the parts that I think are really great. I already know how I'd put them together. I've got some experience, you know, cutting up my own podcast and promoting it. So please let me do this for you, you know, and obviously, uh, something that I was doing out of love and I did do it out of love and I would still love to do it. Um, but I'm, I'm skipping the story. So I started doing their content and basically to make a long story short, I learned how to download, you know, cut, copy, paste, blah, 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 completely edit these reels completely on my phone. And it was something that at the time, I was like, oh, I feel like I'm only kind of half doing it, you know, like because I'm not going on a computer and editing it and making all these things. I was like, I was using three different apps on my iPhone. I was like, oh, I'm kind of cheating here, you know, like it's kind of crappy. But then you realize the results that you can get off your phone are basically just as good as what you can get off a computer. I mean, until you start going to that like film level, that real high end cinematic sort of, and even that you can get on your iPhone, right? So I was working with what I had and sharpening my skills, and that's exactly what the story was for about a year. I, I don't know if it, it felt like about a year. I'm not sure how many episodes I did. If you're cross-referencing this information, that's not exactly right. I know I did heaps of episodes. So I um, I wouldn't be a year because I don't remember doing it in the winter last year. You know how like you remember doing the particular particular thing you're talking about in a particular setting where it might be like the temperature or the background or what you're wearing. I don't remember doing it last winter. So it probably wasn't quite a year. Point being, I did it every week. I made between three and five reels for every guest, every solo podcast they did. And I just got better and better and better and better. And it was really cool because I could feel myself progressing. I would get excited. I, I, I basically have a process of like, right, you watch it. I make timestamps. I take notes of everything that might be valuable, that might work as a short form piece of content. And then once I have all that, I go back, I dissect the podcast down into those like parts. It might be like between two and 10 parts. I figure out which ones are the best and I cut them down to like five. And then once I have those five pieces of content, I'll then cut out all of the fat, so all of the dead air, all of the ums and the ands and the, the stuff in the story that you don't need to understand the story. And then you're left with like a 20 second clip. I'll then take that into another app and I'll put captions over the top of that. I'll take it into another app and I'll do overlays over the top of that. Will that continue to tell the story? I'll put like little Easter eggs or side jokes into the content itself. I'll upload that to Dropbox and then they would post it on their social medias. Now, I actually had a few of those clips do really well. Um, when I say I had them do well, I made a clip that did well on somebody else's channel, which is great, right? I see myself as the apprentice, right? I don't make the final product for anyone, not even for Black Ink. All I'm doing is trying to expand my skill set, trying to expand my knowledge and get myself to a place where one day I can charge whatever I want for whatever I'm doing because I've done the hard work. My, my outcome is tried, tested, and proven, and therefore I can just ask whatever I think my value is worth and get it. And this isn't about just making money. This is about doing things purposefully and understanding what part of the process you're in. And right now I'm in the apprenticeship. So the fact that I made something that these guys are even considering posting on that pl platform is awesome, right? And it's not about them having heaps of followers or whatever, because they don't necessarily have heaps of followers. It's the fact that they take their project seriously and they allowed me to come on board and to create assets for that project that would help build it, right? So a few of those pieces of content did really well on TikTok because I was super controversial and what I said wasn't exactly true. It was a bit of a stretch of the imagination as far as creating a cool little narrative for TikTok. 
Um, that was great. The data that I collected off that is A, I can make viral content. B, I can make viral content that has nothing to do with me. So my skill set isn't just within the blacking kind of arena. It's on a greater scale. It's being able to recognize value, recognize something that people are going to find interesting to watch and shaving off all of the parts around the outside that make it hard to look at or make your mind wander in a different direction and basically create this nicely formed 20 second or 15 second or 30 second thing that people are going to be enamored by and have to watch until the end and then comment on or send to their friends and can you believe this or tag their mate, whatever it might be. I'm capable of making that, right? Now, as far as the skills acquisition and the fact that I was on board with these really interesting people and that they kind of took me under their wing and gave me some creative direction and also gave me a lot of creative freedom as well, which is really cool. They allowed me to experiment with my own ideas and I would send them in. They'd be like, cool, we like this. Maybe with this, you can do it that way. And to be honest, that's just working with fellow creators that understand the process. They understand not just the process of making something, but they understand the creator process which is the fact that I am an artist, right? And I feel like an idiot saying that because I just said before I'm a truck driver, okay? But I am an artist. And I am an artist who has allowed themselves the permission to grow, to progress, and to get better. And through that, I do stand by the things that I make, but I'm completely open to the criticism that might perfect it or get it better. So if you do have something for me, as in criticism, some advice, some direction, Understanding how to deliver that to a creator without offending them usually best comes from another creator. Usually it comes from another self-aware creator, especially because some creators like to hide under the thing like, oh, I'm a tortured artist. My life is so hard. I don't care about how I communicate with people because my creativity is my is my gift to the world and whatever form that comes out in or whatever you know cloak I have to wear, whether it looks ugly or attractive, I don't care. It's about the art. A conscious creator, a conscious artist is able to like, see, like, see that other artist and say, hey, this is great. Have you thought about doing it this way? Or imagine if we did it like that. Or can you you picture this, right? Instead of going like, that's no good, that's no good, that's no good. You need to get better at this and this needs to be better. So I was really appreciative of being on board with fellow creators, especially with Scott, who's got a wealth of experience when it comes to graphic design, whether it's in motion, still image, whatever it might be. And just having that kind of like mentor person who within their own project is saying, hey, can we do this? Can we change that? Can we do this? Now, obviously, this is uh, this whole narrative is coming to some sort of crescendo. So let's just cut the cake and get to it, right? I have, as of last week, officially left the Club Good project. And it was quite a, I mean, a very, when I say it was an amicable, amicable departure, I don't mean that as in there was any room for it not being amicable. I just mean that I messaged the guys and said, hey, unfortunately, this work effort that I'm putting in every week is getting to kind of a critical mass point where I just need to make a decision as to c- completely committing to this and saying, no, I allocate those six hours every week to that project, regardless of where there's any return or whatever, or I just need to you know, cut ties and just say, hey, that six hours, I actually need that. I need that in my business because obviously Black Ink is growing. I mean, Black Ink will continue to be in its growth phase until we figure out exactly what this business is, exactly where the cash flow is and exactly what we enjoy doing to make that cash. So being in the growth phase, I have to be very defensive of my time and my energy. And I have to understand or sorry, not understand. I have to make sure that the decisions that I make reflect that defensiveness of the the project itself right which is black ink 
So I feel like the decision was very difficult. You know, the first thing I was, the first thing that crossed my mind, I'm going to be completely honest and vulnerable and not just this, but in this podcast, because I believe that's where the actual value is. The first thing that I was worried about was telling these guys, hey, I don't want to do this anymore, you know, because that's essentially what you're saying. You can dress it up however you want with all the pretty words, use your dichotomy of language to, you know, bloody take them down whatever path you want. But at the end of the day, it's basically just saying, like, I don't have time for this anymore. Um, You know, I'm sorry. My business has grown to a certain point. I just need to defend that. And the guys were like, thank you for being on board for so long. Of course they were because they're good people. And again, they're fucking adults. They're creators. And they appreciate that the effort that I did put in was, you know, a solid three, four, five, six hours every week for months, for months and for free. I'm not saying that as in like, yay, go Jake. I'm saying that as in like, you know, if someone did that for my business, I would probably be thinking every week, like the time is soon that these people say, I'm not going to do this for you anymore. You have to do it yourself, you know? And it's, it's, uh, it's funny because the entire time, and even now, I still feel privileged to be able to work with these guys and to have that experience and also to create that connection with those two guys. And I've, I have also been on the Club Good podcast in that time that I was working with them as well. So, you know, that path to realizing that goal and like being in the, in the room with them and being on the podcast and being like, oh my goodness, like that's Scott and this is Josh. And these are people that I've edited for literally hours, days on end. I know how they speak, I know how their voices work, I know how they communicate, I know how they interact with each other, I know how they tell stories, and here I am about to communicate, interact, and tell stories with them. So the whole thing was really cool, you know, and I think one thing that I took away from the whole Club Good project was absolutely meet your heroes sometimes, absolutely, you know, be very diligent about who your heroes are, but absolutely meet them, because the thing about the thing about that situation was, I think in a way, you know, for, uh, I really, really, really appreciated working with and for Scott. And like all of us, you know, Scott, Josh, me, the next guy, everyone has their flaws. Everyone has the things that they're not good at. Scott is really fucking good at creativity in general. Super exciting. So being able to work with this person and kind of see their process and like question them. I remember one time I, I hit a brick wall with this particular project. I said, oh, I can't get this thing to work. I called him. I was like, bro, I, can you help me with this? And he's like, yeah, of course. He ended up making it and sending me the project. He goes, here you go, man. Like, thank you very much. You know, designer to designer. It's like, oh, thank you so much. Like, I wish I had money to give you because I don't have money. Um, that's why I need to get this job through. Anyway, so it was really cool just to work with Scott. And through the process of hearing the podcast for the first time, starting to communicate with them, obviously working with them, going on the podcast with them, and then exiting the whole project, like Scott became a hero, a mentor, you know, he became a, a role model for me. And I think meeting him and being, you know, having his number in my phone and being able to call him with a problem and like, maybe say like, hey, I can't quite do this or whatever it might be. And even like when I had one of my friends pass away recently, you know, he was one of the first people to like shoot a message and just be like, I know where you're at. It's all good. Be strong. If you need to call me, call me, you know? And it's like, it's bizarre having someone that is in that position of like role model mentor da to send that message. It's like, wow, that's really interesting. Now with that said, I'm not sucking him off, right? He's got his flaws. hundred percent. He has his flaws. Dude, if you're watching this, please stop vaping. We care about you. Okay. All good. So 
The Club Good Project has officially come to an end for me, but the Black Ink solo and guested podcast is now back on track and hopefully bringing you plenty of value in the future. So let's talk about the podcast in general. Not the podcast. Let's talk about what is actually going on, right? Because I kind of touched on it before. Black Ink is definitely in its growth phase, right? Black Ink is definitely in this. All I do is I respond to the task that is in front of me, okay? So Black Ink obviously started as a coffee man, transitioned to a clothing brand, right? And we had our little, um, what'd you call it, hiatus for about three or four years where I went off and I was driving trucks and working for other people and just being a normal, uh, you know, employee for people where I would get paid every week and I get my superannuation, I get my insurance and all the rest, right? And then Black Ink obviously transitioned into the kind of e-commerce online brand that it did about two and a half years ago. And from there, day by day, it's progressively turned into this monster that you know and love now, right? Where I've got a vinyl cutter and printer, I've got a laminator, I've got a heat press, I've got multiple little bits and pieces that go with all those things that create a greater process where basically we can turn ideas into physical clothing all in one day, all in one space, as long as I have that blank garment on hand. Now, as far as the direction this is heading, if I was to guess, it's probably gonna be in clothing, it's probably gonna be in decoration. If I ask my heart what I see this turning into, it's some sort of like custom clothing monster. It's not like, at the moment I'm like decorating AS Color and Gildan products and it is, it's great, I love it, it's cool. I love seeing the finished product on my customers and I love seeing the response people get from that. But I feel like the gap between here and where I want to be is custom cut and sew. It's getting my stuff, um, especially the blanks, made off-site and then decorating them myself, however that may be, through heat press, DTG, HPV, whatever that might be. And just in case you're wondering what they are, DTG is direct-to-garment printing, which is basically where you feed a garment, t-shirt, hoodie, whatever, into an actual printer, like the one that you've got at home that prints off your documents. And it basically just prints the image onto the shirt based off the settings and the file that you gave it. HPV is heat press vinyl, which is what you see use me using the most of. So we can get a solid color, cut it out, heat press, vinyl, heat press that onto whatever garment you're working with, Bob's your uncle. Or we can get a white printable vinyl, print that in my vinyl cutter and printer, cut it out, weed it, and then press that on, Bob's your uncle, finished garment again. So. Whatever the process may be, I do see something in the future where we're utilizing the custom element of it, the decoration element of it, but I just think the garments themselves need a little bit more spice in them to really like drive that, I don't know, I feel like what I'm doing now is cool, but what I'm aiming for is brilliant. I want something that is like, you know, I look at um, brands like Street X, Front Runner, G'd Up, you know, all these brands that you've heard before, and the gap between just a decorated AS color garment and where they are is so significant that I feel a bit embarrassed that I'm doing what I'm doing. And not because my customers will doubt what's going on. It's because in the realm of like, the, if you consider like the playground that I'm in, the other people on the playground are people like Daniel Bradshaw. You know, they're people like that dude who runs Front Runner and G'd Up. And I see myself as a, you know, not slave to creativity, but some sort of like, I feel like I have a position or a, I have an obligation to be creative now. And that obligation has progress 
tied into the fiber of it, which means that I'm on this path and the path steps up all the time. It gets better. It gets bigger. It gets more interesting. It gets more valuable, right? It gets more opulent as I go on. And obviously there's a little bit of anxiety tied into that because it means that you've got to be better. You know, as a person, I have to be better. As a creator, I have to be better. As a partner, I have to be better. But the end result is you live a life worth living and people want to listen to your podcast, even though it's just you talking to a camera in an empty room, right? So with that in mind, this growth phase of Black Ink, one part of me is like, right, we need to march forward. We need to stand tall. We need to have a plan. We need to know where we're going. We need to know what we're doing. And this other part of me is just like, hey, man, do you remember when you drove trucks and you just got paid on Thursday night? How nice does that sound? It's like right now, as I said, honest and vulnerable, right now, as I sit here in my bank account, in total amount of money, I maybe have $150, right? And to be honest with you, my event that I've just had, which we'll talk about a little bit, left me in so much debt that I'm, I'm crawling out <laughs> of that situation just to get to a point where I can be at zero again, right? And I mean... This is a thing. I say that like it's a negative thing. And in a way, it is a negative thing. But part of being a business owner and part of being, you know, a brilliant man, which is my goal one day, I'm not a brilliant man yet, but I'm trying to be a brilliant man, is understanding that every every crisis or every negative thing has the seed of equal opportunity for a positive thing. So therefore, we use it. We go, how do we see this as a thing that projects me into the next thing that helps me get to that next stage, that elevation, right? So... The whole concept of like, you know, push forward, have a plan, be good, be better and be normal, have a job, buy a jet ski, chill out, get a home loan, get her pregnant, right? They're never really fighting because I hate this. This one telling me to get, you know, like just relax and drive a truck and give all of your time to someone else and help them get rich. You know, sure, it's got the security, it's got the safety, it's got that paycheck that comes in every week. But it's at the cost of everything. It's at the cost of being a creative genius, right? Or potentially a creative genius. It's at the cost of having Tuesday morning at nine o'clock to yourself to go have coffee with dad just because you decided to, right? It comes with giving up the chance, the opportunity to create something that's actually marvelous that completely blows your mind even though you're the one who created it, right? So I will sit here with $150 in my bank account excited about potentially having less because it means that I'm not sitting in a truck right now. It means that I'm not doing something that I don't want to do, right? And I'm not saying this as if like, you know, go me, yay, Jake figured it out. It's more to the point where like, I'm just a human doing human stuff just like you. And if I'm doing it, you can do it. Whatever that looks like for you, whatever black ink is to you, it could be for you. But this is not, I'm not going on the motivational stuff. I'm just filling you in with what's going on with black ink and where we're at. Now, as far as the growth process of black ink, it's definitely something that, you know, day to day, it's kind of worrying because you think like, what am I doing today to be 1% better? What am I doing? You know, I've just, I've employed this rule recently with myself that every day I send out at least one invoice and I get at least one bit of money come into my account from a client or from an outside source. And it's funny, just things like that where you go, okay, I now have to create this rule in my business. I made this business from nothing, right? And then within this business, you've got processes, you've got assets, you've got liabilities, you've got cash flow, you've got all these things that exist. And then there's the things that you inject into the business to make sure that it works, 
right? Because I noticed, you know, a few months ago, I'm like, oh, this is a great business and there's a lot of things happening, but I have no cash flow. I have nothing that I can show to people like, here's money coming in, here's money going out. I did have that, but there was no consistency to it. You know, make 10 grand on Wednesday, but on Friday I had 70 bucks left. Well, what's going on, you know? So during this growth phase of the business, I'm just excited to try new things, to take risks, to be, you know, uh, for, unfortunately I'm using this word for the third time in this podcast, but vulnerable, you know, allowing my business to be something that I didn't imagine it being. That's a really hard thing to conceptualize and to actualize because sometimes you can see your business going a direction. Like I've had this multiple times before where I've contracted myself for other people's businesses and I was so valuable and effective in their business that they were trying to engage with me on a part-time or full-time basis, basis, even to a point where they were offering me percentages of that business so that I would be invested in its progress and growth, right? Now, Obviously, I said no to that offer, to those offers. And the interesting part about it is at the time, they were really bad things, you know, saying no to this, like, hey, do you want a percentage of our business or do you want to help us with this new business venture or we want to involve you in this particular thing that we're doing? Unfortunately, at the time, I saw it as like this, no, scratch out, not unfortunately. At the time, I saw it as like an opportunity you know, like you go out on your, on your own, you start this business, you get creative, you start making things. People go, oh, you can make that. Can you make that for our business? And then when you can make that for their business, they go, hey, we don't want you as a contractor. We want you as a staff member. And in fact, we actually want you on our team of people at the top, kind of directing the staff members because we see that potential in you. Now, this is the thing. In that moment, you're essentially being scouted, right? And I'm not saying this in any negative way as if like these businesses or these people that offered me these opportunities are bad. I'm saying that from a business owner point of view, right, from a creator's point of view, you have to go, well, if I am that valuable to them and they're willing to offer me whatever this is and whatever it equals out in its, you know, uh, financial value, they're willing to offer me X amount of percentage of this business, this business is worth this much, so therefore they're offering me this much wealth, right? Well, that's how much you're worth to someone else, right? And at that point, at those points, when I got these opportunities and these offers, I realized that I was undervaluing what I was doing or they were overvaluing me and I should have taken the opportunity, right? But you look at this from a grander point of view. Now, I've had this happen three times where people have tried to bring me into their business and make me part of the infrastructure of their business at the cost of losing black ink, right? That's a really important part because at the cost of losing black ink, means that all this time that I created for myself where I'm not driving a truck, I'm not making someone else money, that I then, you know, as a banner, as a, as a title for that thing that I created, that time, that energy that I've given to myself is called Black Ink. Well, that's now going to, we're going to scratch that name out and put someone else's name up there. And we're going to give that all of my time and that all of my energy. And all of a sudden, that kind of looks like driving a truck for someone else, making someone else rich. It's like the truck driver saying like, yeah, I'll give you 15% of my profits. Yeah, but I still got to drive a truck for 12 hours a day, you know? But we have to allow that vision that we had of whatever the, the end of the day goal is, we have to allow that vision to be altered. We have to allow it to change a little bit because what this does is allows us to understand that like, you know, you say, oh, I just want to have something where I can lay on the beach and sip martinis all day. Well, the problem with that is that sipping martinis all day on the beach is great on day one. On day two, you're like, oh yeah, by week three or week four, 
you're like, okay, anything but martinis and please anything but salt and sand and wind, please. That's reality. But if you stay stubborn on that vision of like, no, I sip martinis on the beach until the day I die, well, you're a fool. Because now you're just doing something for the sake of having a cool sentence that describes you. So being able to vary on that vision and being able to like understand that like, yeah, cool, the end of the day, when I first started this project of Black Ink two and a half years ago, when I first started it back up, I should say, you know, the ideal day for me in 10 years time was like, oh, sweet, I'll wake up and I'll do this and I'll do that and rah, rah. And now, just two and a half years later, that day that I imagined back then is nothing that I want, Right. I'm actually having so much fun now in the growth phase that I truthfully believe that at the end of the day, I'll look back to these days and say, that's when I was truly living, when I had no money, when I was recording my podcast off my iPhone, when I had a dingy little lapel mic that I ran through a watering can just so it wasn't hanging off my shirt. Those were the days, right? So you're stuck between this place of, well, not stuck. You had this decision where you go like, right, I am allowing that vision to change a little, that end of the day goal to change a little, but will it have somebody else's name on it? Will it be me doing nothing all day and relaxing? Will it be me being busy all day at work and having purpose? Will it be me uh, consulting for someone else? Will it be me riding a motorbike? Will it be a collection of everything, right? And these are the questions that you have to answer as you're a businessman out in the world of absolute abyss, not really knowing where you're pointing at any one time, but just surviving day to day, hoping that this thing that you built will one day turn into something greater and not just a job that you've made for yourself that goes on and on and on. So interesting, interesting. This growth phase of Black Ink is super exhilarating for me when I'm not thinking about what it means in reality. Because it's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle of it. The thing that people talk about, like that life that you create for yourself, I've created it for myself. Yay! I have $150 to my name. You know, damn. So let's talk a little bit about the let's talk a little bit about the event that I had three weeks ago. Now, I do want to note that it was only on Monday when I was doing my reflection. At the end of every day, I do my reflection in my diary. It's about half a page of just handwritten stuff, and it's anything that happened during the day that was significant. Maybe how I'm feeling. Maybe some dreams that I've been having. Whatever it is. Now, Monday marked the three-week mark post event. The event that I'm talking about is, of course, the Spring Winter Collection release, which was called Volume 2. It was held at the Val and Community Space, which is that little space between Bar 31 and Dome on the waterfront. And it was an overwhelming success. Now, I spoke a little bit about getting in debt because of this event. And that's one thing that I wanted to kind of expand on and be a little bit transparent about because I feel that there's something for everyone to learn here. And also I like explaining things and kind of soundboarding these ideas because it helps me learn as well. Now I've gone over this a fair few times, so I'm fairly confident that nothing new is going to come up, but regardless, let's talk about it. So basically what I did is I said to myself, we need to do another event because I did this event last year and I've hosted several events uh, for Black Ink and for other businesses as well. So I do have a fair idea about how an event at night looks Selling my own products at these events tends to be super effective. Whenever you mix alcohol and cool clothing, you seem to sell a lot of them, who knew? So basically I was like, okay, let's do another winter collection because I did a winter collection last year. Now last year I had about four or five products and I made heaps of each individual product in heaps of different sizes. So I had a lot of stuff, but I had very few options, right? So this year I was like, right, how do we make something 
that has more options, but still a lot of stuff. So we have less of everything, but we have more things to fill the gaps, right? And how do we make sure that we make something for everyone? So mom, dad, you know, older brother, older sister, younger brother, younger sister, whatever. Everyone comes through. There's something that everybody likes, right? How do we do that? And how do we make it more valuable than last year? Because of course, we can just do what we did last year, but that's not getting 1% better. That's just doing what we did last year. So I took all the information that I had from last year's event, which was we had like 40, 50 people pull through. Uh, we had an average spend of just over $100. And I think we had about 30 sales. I want to say 28, 28, 30, 31 sales, something like that. And I made, I made a reasonable amount of money. And I'm pretty sure as of the day after, once everything went online, I had um, paid all of my debt back because obviously I had to borrow money to... Um, to buy all the products, to buy all the stuff, to get it in, to get it made, and so on. Now, just let me prefix this whole story with, I haven't been in debt since I sold the coffee van. Personally, I haven't been in debt. Now, when I say I haven't been in debt, I mean official debt that you know is through a bank or is you know personal loan, home loan, mortgage, whatever it is. Since I sold my business, um, which was April 21st, either seven years ago or eight years ago now, or six years ago, I haven't had... A single drop of debt. I paid back my business loan. I paid off my Harley. I bought my car for cash and I've lived in a rental since I sold my house years and years ago. So I have been at zero or above zero since that moment. Now, the only time that I have borrowed money is personal loans through either, you know, business mentors or family members um, since then. And both of those times have been for these events. One was for the winter event last year and one was for the winter spring event this year. And I borrowed around the same amount of money. Last year, it was about 10 grand. I think I spent seven of it. And I had made all of that seven back within 24 hours of that event launching from the in-person sales, cash sales, and from the online sales, which was super cool. I was super happy with it. Um, and obviously, being immediately out of debt means anything you've got left over is just cash in the hand, which is awesome. So this year, I originally came up with a concept of like, right, how do we do this with no money down? How can I do this without having to borrow money? So I created this system where I was like, right, I'm going to make a bunch of stuff. I'm going to make a handful of a bunch of stuff. I'm going to have an event where people come through. They can try it on for size. They can pick what they want. They pay on the day, but they basically pay for a pre-order. And then I take all of the orders from that event, put my order in with all of my suppliers, get all the stuff within a week, make it the following week, hand deliver it the week after, right? And all of those things are also going to be available online, which means that you, that process still is, you know, it still works, but you just buy the stuff online instead of buying it in person. And when I started to put this together, there was a few problems or a few, a few questions that I had to answer. How many people are we going to have at this event? How does the event look and feel? How do we sell to these people? How do we make it more valuable than last year? And where are we going to have this event? Who's involved with this event? What subcontractors are involved with this event? So I realized, you know, if we're talking, you know, about 50 people came through last year. I was like, well, double it and double it. And I want that many. I want that many to come. So double it and double it. We're at 200. And I thought, okay, let's say 300. Let's be ambitious. I want 300 people at my event, which by the way, I've added about, you know, I think I was at about 3000 followers this time last year. I'm at 4,200, which is great. You know, like, I mean, if it was at 100,000, you'd be like, yeah, that's amazing. But to be honest, 
having a thousand people or twelve hundred people following me from this time last year and knowing that the majority of those people are from where I'm trying to sell, that's super important, right? So that says that we're only trying to get a, a yeah quite a small percentage of these people to engage. So realistically, three hundred people at an event isn't that crazy. When I knew I had this 300 people number, then I started to go, okay, what venue can allow for 300 people, right? How do we actually get 300 people all in one spot and it be big enough and we have enough clothes to sell them and we have alcohol involved and we have all the things that come with having 300 people, alcohol and money around. You know, you need security, you need plans, you need a risk assessment, you need all these things. So I go, okay, I'm going to make this a ticketed event. Right, So I can actually print 300 tickets. We can put an individual number on each ticket. And then that way, we know exactly how many were sold. And that ticket can be some sort of physical value that the, the person, the customer, the, you know, what would you call it? The person participating can hold on to and use, right? So now I start going, okay, the ticket is part of the value. Well, if I, if I paid $20 for a ticket and I'm going to a clothing launch to where I have to spend more money once I get there, then what am I buying a ticket for, right? So I go, okay, let's sell the ticket. And the, and the reason that I want the ticket to be sold, the reason I want the ticket to be worth something and the reason I want it to be scarce is because it creates urgency and it creates investment. If you've spent $20 on coming to my event, you're not very likely to miss the event because you spent $20 to be able to go, right? So I created an ambassador program where I would give people tickets. They would then sell them. If they sold enough of the tickets, they would then get theirs for free and they get to come in. Now, if you are a customer and you bought a ticket, you could actually swap that ticket for a free drink and free entry into the after party. So now we're starting to actualize what that value is, which means, by the way, use the word actualize at least 12 times now. Huh? What's that about? The word of the day? Cool. So now we're starting to go, okay, well, a drink is worth 10 bucks and entry is worth 15. Okay. Cool. So we've got the uh, we've got the ticket concept created. Now we need to figure out the where. And I was starting to work with uh, Cup Rum Distillery, which is, as it turns out, just around the corner from where I live, which is pretty cool. But we were facing this capacity issue because he's legally only allowed to have a certain amount of people in there. And if we're going to have a certain amount of people in there and then also in the car park, we have to have security, one in, one out. And all of these started to get a bit too finicky. So I, I, I put that one on the side burner. I started talking to a few uh, friends of mine and someone said to me, hey, the Val and community space of that 31 Holman place at the, the new building at Kumbana North where the bridge from Kumbana meets the other side of Kumbana, that building right there, there's a community space right on the corner with absolutely amazing views. You should ask if you can go in there. So I asked the question, sure enough, I can go in there. Absolutely great. And the cool part about that is we've got a bar two doors down. Yeah, a separate venue. It's in the same building, but it's a separate venue, which means I don't have to worry about capacity. I don't have to worry about security. I don't have to worry about a JHA. All I have to worry about is putting my clothes on display and making the whole thing aesthetically attractive, right? This is great. So from there, I start to put together this plan. Okay, we got 300 tickets. We've got ambassadors selling these tickets. We've got a location. We've got a plan so that, you know, you take your ticket. You can go stamp that, get your free drink at bar 31. We're going to be at Fitzgerald's for the after party. You get it stamped there. You get free entry and Bob's your uncle. Now we've got a valuable ticket, we've got a valuable space, we've got a cool little, you know, crossing over with this business and that business. It was awesome. Then I started to focus inwards on this project. I go, cool, how do we add more value into the inside? Once you're in, what can we have in there? And it hit me. We need other cool, local, small businesses flexing what they've got. 
Now, this isn't this isn't really for them to make money. This is purely an awareness campaign. So it's saying, hey, I'm creating this cool thing. I'm bringing all these people to it. All you need to do is be there with your product and be having uh, conversations with people, getting new followers on Instagram, getting people aware of what you do, where they can find you, how much your stuff costs, what they can expect if they buy off you, build a relationship, build some rapport with these people. And best case scenario, they spend money with you as well, right? So I then reached out to the people that I thought would be a good fit, which were, uh, we had, uh, did that? Always Nursery, uh, Jibber's Hot Sauce, Madeline's Jury by Design, and Nosh Boy the DJ, who of course wasn't selling any product, he was creating the atmosphere and the vibes in there, and of course I paid him to be there, he was more of a paid contractor than a business who was you know, using it as an awareness kind of campaign. So, as it turns out, Madeline unfortunately couldn't make her, and Jibbet could, couldn't make it, uh, Hot Sauce and the Jewelry Guy. Um, always made it and put on an absolute show. He had little... Uh, terrariums with waterfalls and cacti and succulents and all sorts of cool plants and the cool thing about that is is those guys are really passionate about plants in general so that speaks people can see that if you're just rocking up and you're like oh yeah i got a boss like you know you got you see people working on coffee vans all the time and they're just doing the thing because i've got a boss and it's not their coffee van and they don't care about the customer and they don't care about the continuity of the product or the service they're just doing a job that wasn't these guys you can ask them anything about anything that's on display there you can basically ask them anything about plants and they have answers for you so it was a really effective really valuable asset or addition to this project that i was creating right so, and by the way, footnote, Jibba, Madeline, if you're watching, I believe that would have been a really good night to have you guys there because always got such a good response. I believe that that was on offer for everyone. Also, I'm bringing all of my customers to you. You might bring a few new customers to me as well. The snake eats its tail. Bunbury grows stronger. Small business gets better and better. Bob's your uncle, whatever. So let's talk about the debt part of this that I was getting to, right? So the original idea was how do we do this with no money down or very little money down and create something where we have no dead stock, we have nothing that we have to sell after the fact, but also keep it valuable. The answer is it doesn't work. It doesn't work. What is really interesting though, that with the data that I collected from this event and where I sit right now and speaking out loud, I've actually realized how I can with that same thought get that experience and get that result from the next one that I do. But let's put a pause on that. I'm going to come back to that. So basically what I realized is that people coming to an event where they paid for a ticket, regardless of who's there and who's riding unicycles, flipping upside down, blah, 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 it doesn't matter. If they can't leave with anything physical, then it's not a valuable experience, especially when the whole point of the show is to give them something physical or to sell them something physical that they can take home, they can wear and they can be proud of. So through having this conversation with a business, uh, not partner, just a business friend of mine who owns his own business, I was saying, you know, here's kind of what I do, what, why I think this won't work right. And he goes, I'll lend you the money. I'll lend you the money. How much do you need? I said, oh, look, to do it properly, I probably need this much. He's like, yeah, sweet. Just tell me the bank account you want it in. I'll give you the money. It's fine. So really? He goes, yeah, yeah. You're a creative genius. You'll figure it out. He didn't say that, but that's in my mind, he said that. So I took his money and with the data that I had, I made some decisions. Now, about four weeks out is when you need to start buying all these 
blanks or these garments. And about two weeks out, you need to start making them, okay? So four weeks out, I had tickets printed. I had ambassadors selling the tickets. I had sold a few myself. I had people pushing them through their, their counters on their businesses, wherever they might be, food shops, gyms, blah, blah, blah. And to the best of my knowledge, I was going to have 300 people come through the door, right? Because we have to talk in best case scenario. Because while you want to talk in reality and what will probably happen, the fact is if you had 300 people come through the door and you've got enough clothes to sell to 50 of them or 100 of them, well, then you've got 200 people who didn't have a valuable experience. You've got 200 people that paid for a ticket just to not make it in time. Okay, solve the problem. So I go, okay, cool. I have all of these designs ready to go. I was sitting on five t-shirts design, designs. I was sitting on, I think, five different full tracksuit designs spread across men's and women's. I was sitting on socks. I was sitting on uh, the custom black ink ring, which is actually how Madeline got involved to begin with. Madeline Jewelry by Design. She's right next to the old elders building, which is next to that new Binet place across the road from the Rose Hotel. And... By the way, go and check her stuff out. Super cool to see another young person in business for themselves and creating super cool products. So make sure you go check her out. She actually got on board with creating the custom black ink ring, which is only available to the people who have this particular tattoo. I don't know if you can see that's weird angle. But yeah, this tattoo here is um, part of the team building day one experience, which we're also going to talk a little bit about in this podcast later on. So hold for that. But yeah. Um, so we had the ring um, that we were going to sell on the night and socks, hats, t-shirts, tracksuits. Yeah, and just obviously everything that I've got laying around the studio that was kind of, you know, a black ink in any way that people might be interested in buying. So I'm thinking, cool, we've got all these designs, we've got everything ready, now we need to do the ordering. So we need to order as if 300 people are going to show up, right? And now... This is a position that I'm in at that moment. You have to figure out how many of each garment you're gonna get in each size, right? Are you gonna keep all of the designs you've got? Are you going to follow through with everything that you've decided to make? Is everything effective? Do you think everything's gonna sell, right? If you're gonna favor one product more than another, how much are you gonna favor it by? What are the percentages and what are those ideas, thoughts or whatever based off? What data set are you using? Because if it's feeling, you're gonna get in trouble. If you feel like this will do better than that, trust me, that's the first way to make too many things that no one's gonna like. Been there, done that a dozen times and actually did it again during this. So I'm now ordering with a, a, a kitty of money that essentially is like there to spend. I can afford to buy as much as I want and it's like, okay, how do I buy for 300 people in stuff that's expensive? You know, winter goods are expensive. T-shirts essentially are expensive when you're buying hundreds of them, you know? So I've then gone, okay, cool, bought all this stuff. We get to two weeks out, everything has arrived. I've taken ownership of everything besides the socks because I don't make the socks myself. And now I'm like, okay, well, I've sold like 70 tickets of 300. And the reality of events is people don't buy tickets until the last like 10 minutes before the event. So I'm like, okay, let's say I sell 100 by Friday and then Saturday morning, because it was on the Saturday night, I sell, you know, like another 50 or another 100. So you start going, okay, how many people do I think I'm going to get? I think I'm going to get 150. Okay, cool. We've got 70 tickets sold. We're two weeks out. I might get 150. Okay, now we need to make what 150 people will buy. So now we go back to that thing. Okay, we've got this amount of people that are going to come. Who is it? What does the average person look like? Are they male? Are they female? Are they this age, that age? What size are they? What are they going to like? What are they going to buy? 
okay? So then using the information that I had at the time, and that's the key part that I always use the data that I had at the time. Four weeks out, we're speaking positively, we're gonna have 300 people arrive. So we need to get enough garments for 300 people. Two weeks out, okay, it's looking like not being ambitious, being realistic, we're gonna get 150 people and we've got all of these garments to make into whatever we want. So now I need to only make what I plan on taking to the event because you don't wanna make a whole heap, you don't wanna make all of it and then take two thirds of it or take half of it and then come home and you've got all of these garments that are made into this specific thing that is now locked into that. And what I mean by that is if you get a black shirt and you put this print on it, that's what that shirt is now. But if you've got a black shirt that you can put this print, that print or that print onto it, well, now this shirt can be anything. The only thing that it's locked into is the size that it's made. So you want to take, you want to make only the stuff that you want to take. You want to make only the stuff that you're pretty sure you're going to sell. Okay. So two weeks out, I then make the decision. We're getting 150 people there. They're going to buy heaps of t-shirts. They're going to buy heaps of winter gear. You know, my average customer is probably like an early 20 guy. He's looking to spend around a 50, probably 150 to $200. And therefore I'm going to base what I take, the specials that I create and the, the overall concept of what we're trying to deliver here into account when we move forward. And that's exactly what I did. I made, uh, I forget how many shirts it was. I want to say like a hundred shirts. I made probably about half of the winter gear uh, and I made 40 hats. Now, interesting little side story about the hats. I had actually outsourced the hats to a guy in Melbourne and we had all the project ready to go. It was basically just click like, yes, go ahead. Here's my 50% deposit and get the hats made. So I messaged him two weeks out and I said, hey dude, ready to go. And he's like, oh, if you go now, um, you've left it too late. I'm going to have to express the stuff here. I'm going to have to put it ahead of my other jobs and then I'm going to have to express it to you. Here's what the new cost is. And the cost over doubled for each of these hats. And and the end of the day, you know, recommended retail that it would turn into for the end customer was just too high. And it also meant that I wouldn't be able to make any money out of it. So essentially it wasn't an option, right? So what I did is took it into my own hands. Okay. So I did a little bit of research and I thought, okay, what if I buy the own equip my own equipment to make the hats? You know, because I know what he's doing, I know what the process is, and also I know that once I have the actual bit of equipment, that there is no ceiling on how much money you can make as long as the equipment is operational, right? So I do my research and I go, okay, cool, let's buy a hat press. Because if I have a hat press, I can, you know, create and print designs at will. I can do whatever I want. You know, what, however I want, whatever size I want, I can experiment, I can learn, I can also let other clients who get their hat projects done through me learn through the process of doing their hats as well. So after about, I think I spent a good four or five hours just watching like YouTube reviews, recommendations, figuring out the how these how this equipment gets shipped because of course I've only got two weeks to, to not just order it and get it on time, learn how to use it, get my hats in, do all the designs, create the stuff and put it together and then present it before the, the show on top of getting all of the shirts printed, on top of making all these decisions as to how many winter clothes I'm making, making the winter clothes, you know, also doing uh, promo for the stuff. So as you make it, you need to make it ahead of time. You need to get people to mo model it. You need to turn that content into videos and pictures that you're then gonna use to promote the event. Da 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 da. Long story short, I buy the hat press and it arrives on time, right? So this is another one of those things where as a business owner, you're just out in the abyss. Like, it's like, it's not even, 
what option should I take? It's understanding that there are so many options, the abundance of what of the possibilities of things you can do in business is literally endless. The only thing that caps it is your ability to creatively come up with these ideas, right? Because this is the thing. No one told me when the hack guy said, oh, you've waited too long and now there's all these, um, you know, extra charges and fees and stuff. No one said, bro, you should make your own hats. You know, I had to think like, okay, what are my options here? I need to get someone else to make it. I need to maybe get, is there anybody in Bunbury that holds hats? Is there anybody in Bunbury that decorates hats that can do it in a reasonable time? Because I know the, the local guys that do what I do in a building, I'm not going to say their name, but I know like if you ask them to answer the phone, they're like, look, we can maybe do it in three and a half weeks. Even then, oh, I don't know, we're, 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 we're busy, we're flat out. I, I know you're always busy. You're always flat out. You don't have effective systems in place. That's fine, you know, but it just means that in situations like this, I can't at all re- rely on you, you know? And also footnote as well, the amount of um, businesses just recently in Bunbury that I've given business to a lot in the past being, you know, I understand I'm a small business and I'm spending a hundred bucks at a time or whatever, but like places where I will spend money because they are a local business and I'm happy to pay 30 or 40% over the online cost because you're supporting local, you're giving your money to another Bunbury person. And now they just kick dirt into your mouth while they're telling you like, oh, you need an account to shop with us or like, uh, yeah, we don't stock that product anymore. I'm sorry, can you go so I can talk to real customers? The amount of that that I'm getting lately is insane. Like it's insane. Again, I'm not gonna mention any names on here, but one particular business that I've got the same product off them every two weeks for the past two years, whatever, has turned into now you need an account to shop here and you need to spend at least, I think it's like three, $400 a month to justify having an account. It's like, hey man, I'll go on the internet and buy it from Perth or I can get it delivered for less than the cost of your shit here right now. Okay? So I don't care about your account. Okay? Yeah, you can tell obviously I'm upset about that, right? So, goddamn, where 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 even was I? Um, do, am I going to get these hats made in town? Am I going to get these hats from Perth? How am I going to I've got 2 weeks to figure this out. You know, and then okay, can I make the hats? I get a hat, one that I've got laying around. I'm like, I can't really press it on the edge of my I need, a, I need a hat press, you know, and a hat press is a very specific shape so that you can actually put hats onto it and have this part of the hat nice and flat but curved and then have a, a, a curved platen come down and actually press that on. So I'm like, all right, maybe maybe it is possible. And then I find this, this super cheap hat press for $200 delivered and it comes out of Australia. All right. This brand also makes like sex toys and you know, like uh, industrial goods for, you know, the construction industry and like anything with 12 volt capacity or 240 volt capacity, these guys make. And I'm like, okay, hat presses are worth like two or three grand. This being worth $200 is insane, okay? So I thought, well, why not do the maths and see if we can figure this out? Because we're only trying to do like 20 to 50 hats, right? Now, if you're any good at maths, you'll be able to do some reverse engineering and figure out exactly what my costs are here. But let's say you've got 50 hats and you sold them all at $50 a piece, which is not unreasonable, right? By the time you have purchased the blank hat, you've spent the time, we're taking that into account, right? You've spent the time creating various logos, 
You then print them, weed them, and press them onto those 50 hats. If you sell them at $50 a piece, you'll more than pay for that machine twice if you purchase it for $200, right? So now you start to understand that the mathematics behind this being an option is like very viable. We just have to make sure that A, it can do the job, B, it's gonna get here on time, and C, that we're not overlooking some massive piece of like information or truth here that is like, yeah, obviously you can't buy a $200 machine and generate heaps of money with it, right? Turns out that piece of information doesn't exist because I bought that $200 machine and it's already paid for itself like five times over through that job and various other jobs that I've done in the past three weeks for other people on hats. Wow, right? So, I digress. I bought the hat press. I bought 40 hats across eight different styles. I bought eight different style of hats, five of each of them, which gave me 40 hats. And there was no two hats that, was, that were the same at the event. Now this comes with a whole heap of pros and cons. It means that you've got a whole heap of option for the end customer, right? Which is a pro. The con is I have no fucking idea what they liked more because I didn't record any of them. I didn't record any of the sales of the hats. To be honest with you, I'm not quite there with my business yet. And I know if you're another business owner or a semi-smart person, you're pulling your hair out going, that's such valuable data. You don't know what sizes and colors and shit works the best because you're not collecting that data. Start your own business. I don't fucking care, okay? So I figure out the hat situation. I'm gonna cut a few of the longer stories down. The ring was made in time, but unfortunately, because we didn't have a jeweler there explaining the value of the ringing, taking the orders and all the rest, we couldn't quite sell it effectively at the event. So I just chose to wear it, brag about it, flex it. And right now, as it stands, I've sold one of them. And as I said, those rings, unless you're a real diehard fan, are really only available to the people who have the tattoo. And it is what it is, and it ain't what it ain't. Second thing, the socks did not arrive in time. Breaks my heart. I did everything I possibly could to get the socks there on time. Unfortunately, Australian Customs decided to hold them for a week and a half, which they really never do with anything. Uh, maybe they thought there was some sort of paraphernalia, narcotics, you know, illegal pornography. I'm not, I'm not sure. Something in there that they weren't happy with, so they held on to it, and consequently, the socks didn't make it in time. Now, that meant that I had what I thought was enough clothing to sell to 150 people on Saturday the 8th of August at the Val Ann Community Space. And I can say with great pride that we sold just over 80% of the winter goods we took there. We sold about 30% of the t-shirts that we took there. But a week before the event, I made a decision. And I'll be honest, the decision wasn't my idea. It was actually one of my mentor, one of my mentors. I was talking to him and I said, hey, I'm scared that people aren't gonna come. I'm scared the ticket idea isn't any good. I'm scared that people aren't gonna find it valuable. That's where the, where, where the conversation began. And he's like, dude, you're the man. Don't, don't, he didn't call me the man, but he's like, this is a good idea. You're doing something that's, that's different. Just be the guy who's doing something different and tell people why it's valuable. Don't pull out, don't, don't take away any value that you've given people. Just explain to people why this is good and what the value they're getting is. And why don't you have your heat press there and let people make their own shirt sort of thing? I'm like, oh yeah. And he goes, yeah, yeah. So imagine if I went there and I couldn't drink for whatever reason and I'm not gonna go to Fitzy's. What if instead I could make my own shirt for the ticket? I'm like, oh yeah, $20. And I start thinking like, okay, I've got these shirts laying around the studio that are basically no good to me because for whatever reason, just blank shirts. 
and I've got a whole bunch of transfers just laying around that are ready, you know, like I'm not going to use them for anything, but sure, you can just pick them and press them and they're Bob's your uncle. Sure, Bob's your uncle, again, 18 times, who cares? So I, uh, <clears throat> I was like, okay, cool. I start to, yeah, yeah, no, I can see that. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, actually, that's adding value. That's real shit because when I put me making stuff on Instagram, people really respond to that. They love that behind the scenes, like how something's made, da-da-da sort of process. I was like, this is awesome. Let's take the heat press and do that. Little did I know that I'd be shooting myself in both feet financially by doing this because not only did the majority of people swap their ticket to press their own shirt, there was people who were literally buying the ability to press their own shirt. So they'd swap their ticket and go, I want another three of these. And because the ticket was worth $20, me not thinking about it just said, yeah, cool. If you want to do it again, it's another $20 again. So people were spending $100 and getting five shirts that they made themselves at the Black Ink event and not buying one of the $60 ones off the rack where all the money is for me, right? So as a business owner, I'm like, no, there's all this money that I'm not making. I should have made the make your own shirt $40 or $50 or something, you know? But the creator in me is like, wow. People like making their own stuff. That's really cool. So here's where we go. Remember before I said I realized that, you know, through soundboarding these ideas, I like come to these conclusions and realize something. Well, right at the start, I wanted something that was super valuable for the person that they physically got to take home. But I also wanted as little out of pocket expense that I could so that I can make this a financially viable thing, right? This is the answer. The next event... There's going to be three walls, okay? You know, there's four walls when you walk into somewhere. I'm going to tell you what's going to be on three of them. The first wall is going to be blank garments. The second wall is going to be an array of all different new designs for the, for the summer collection. And then on the third wall, there's going to be heat presses where you can create your own hats, your own shorts, your own t-shirts, your own trackies, your own pants, your own socks, whatever you want. Any, you grab your garment, you grab your design, and then you make it. And you can do it once, twice, you can do it 10 times, you can do it 20 times, I don't care. And then at the end, you just take all of the garments that you've made to the counter and go, here's all my products, bang, 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 pay, leave. Oh my goodness. I'm gonna call it the summer workshop. It's gonna be awesome. And again, it's not like, you know, let's talk about the vision thing again. Like I didn't picture this thing where people make their own black ink clothing as being the end goal. And it's not the end goal. It's step number three on a hundred step path. Who knows what step number 100 will look like, but I do know that the first step looked like having a few items that we had a lot of inside a bar. The second step looked like, well, let's move it outside of a bar. Let's get more people there and let's add as much sideways, lateral, kind of peripheral value that we can, which included by chance heat pressing your own thing while you're there. Well, step three is like, cool, that peripheral value was more valuable than the central value. So let's focus on that and let's expand on that and see exactly what that is. Let's have a few pieces in there that I've made and maybe we put a crazy price tag on them because it's a it's a cool vintage Nike jacket that I black inked by putting my own custom stuff on there. And it's a one of one because I got it from the op shop and I made it myself and I crafted into something beautiful and there it is. But the actual normal process for a customer is making their own stuff there on the spot so they can pick their size, they can pick their garment, they can pick their color, they can pick their design, and then they can have the story behind it when they tell people, yeah, I made this at the Black Ink event. At the what? At the Black Ink event, it was like, and all of a sudden, I've got two customers for the next one. I don't know, creative genius, whatever. So 
the whole experience was great, but let's, let's not get off track here. It left me in debt because I bought all this stuff with the data that I had, I was going to have 300 people there. So I was going to sell to 300 people. So I had to have enough stuff to sell to 300 people, which is what I bought. Okay. So leaving the event, I'm checking my, my reports. I'm looking at my cash. I'm paying everyone, the DJ, the security guard, you know, the, the, this, the, that. I'm like, Oh damn, we've got about half of what we need, which is not good. Because it now means I've literally got to pull that money out of my ass, right? And there's no paycheck coming on Thursday. And there's no money that anybody owes me right now. So we're just at ground zero with a hole behind us that we've got to fill as we walk forward. Does that make sense? So basically, I'm in this position where I've now got to generate money with all of the clothes that I've got that I've made or haven't made yet with the blank garments, with all these designs and stuff. I've got to do it with online sales or I've got to do it with making other people's assets, other people's clothing, merch, uniforms, you know, digital graphic design, whatever for other people's businesses and use the profit that I make to pay this back, right? And again, I'm not complaining. I'm just explaining the situation that I'm in. And from that point, which was three weeks ago until now, I've paid most of it back. Like I'm not worried about it, but it's that it's that truth that like, yeah, I I made something that was a massive risk that realistically hasn't been done the way that I did it before. I put a price, I put a cost to entry. You had to come up with $20 before you even arrived, which again is a new concept. I did all of these things. I collected all of this data. I learned so much about my business. I learned so much about what, how people are going to respond to these things that I do physically, because obviously I have a, gr a pretty big online presence. But as far as physically being somewhere and having these things on offer and creating an experience and creating an atmosphere and a vibe, how people respond to that. What are the pros? What are the cons? What do people like? What do people don't like? And I also got this other lesson on the back of it, a financial lesson that is maybe don't borrow heaps, you know, maybe can continue to be ambitious, but let's be a little bit more data driven rather than feeling driven. You know, let's make more sensible decisions that have a little bit more safety tied into them. But at the same time, keep pissing directly into the wind when it comes to safety, because no one got rich by being safe, right? I mean, hell, here's what could have happened as well. I could have had 150 people. Oh, and also just for comparison, I told you how many people I got last time, what the average spend and all that was. For complete transparency and of course, vulnerability, vulnerability for you right now, I want to tell you, I got 155 people through the door. I got 55 sales and I got an average spend of $134, which means that we tripled the amount of people through the door. Uh, we got a 30%, so we got 130% of our average spend and we got a heap more sales than what we did last time. So overall, it was a success. Overall, it did everything I wanted it to do. The data that I got out of it is super valuable. The ideas that I've got progressing, moving forward and getting better are, are priceless, I believe. The lesson that I learned financially from it I'm not even upset at myself because as I said, the key part about this is, is that I worked with the data that I had at the time. Four weeks out when I was doing the ordering, I kind of gone, oh, well, I got 300 tickets, probably 150 people will come. No, dude. Dude, I bet on me. I bet on this horse, baby. I'm betting that I'm going to sell out of tickets and have to print more. That's what I'm betting on, right? So I work with the data that I had. I made the decisions that I had to. And also... That's a big part as well. You have to make decisions. 
at four weeks out, you have to make that order. Because if you wait another week, then what happens if the stuff doesn't come in time? How do you explain that to the customer who spent $20 on a ticket and put their trust in you, put their belief in your idea, and now you don't even have the main thing you're gonna sell to them? I felt bad enough not having socks, right? So at this point, it sounds like I'm trying to fucking blow my own pain eye here, but you understand what I'm saying, right? Now, I did touch a little bit before about the Black Ink Team Building Day, and just let me take this opportunity to tell you I'm going to start again. Ladies and gentlemen, let me take this opportunity to present to you the fact that the Black Ink Team Building Day number two is going to be taking place very soon. Now, let me give you a little recap about the Black Ink Team Building Day because it's quite a unique concept, right? This is basically a complete mystery to all of those involved. I'm looking for 10 people who are willing to give me a day of their life, probably about $1,000, and just complete trust that I'm going to give them absolutely undeniable lifelong memories. Because what we do and how it happened before is if you are one of these participants, right? I will create a link on my website. You will go there, purchase that product on my website, which is the Black Ink Team Building Day 2. You pay for it. You can use Afterpay. You can use PayPal. You can have it, you know, pay directly from your card, whatever you, whatever payment method suits you. That money then comes to me and all you get in return is a date and a time of somewhere that you've got to be. What happens? Well, I'll tell you what happened last year. Last year, the boys all met out the front of Trendale McDonald's at seven o'clock on a Friday morning. It was a little bit crappy weather, overcast, a little bit of rain. They all get there and I said, hey, you going boys, form a circle. And I gave everyone a package. So right, everyone at the same time, I want you to open your package and undo it. Everyone had a shirt and some stickers in there, right? The shirt had the design for the day, the thing that, what do you call it? The thing that uh, symbolized what the day was. It was something that we could all look at and register and for transparency, it was this little logo right here, right? They had a shirt with that logo, Black Ink Team Building and their nickname for the day. Right, And the nickname reflected either something to do with your character, maybe something you've done in the past, whatever it might be. For example, Corey was no Forey because he's circumcised. Great name. So they got their shirts. We waited. We put our shirts on. We're having a laugh. Everyone's a bit awkward because it's that part of the morning where you're like, oh, you know, <laughs> you know, it's like the first stop at a wine tour where nobody's pissed yet. And you're like just hanging out with people you've never met before. And you're like, hey, what are you doing? Oh, wow. You know? And then a limo pulls up and I'm like, yeah, boys, get in. We're going to Perth, okay? So the boys get into the limo and we're having a bit of an awkward, you know, like, oh, yeah, I haven't met him before or I know him and start yarning and blah, blah, blah. We pull up just south of Perth and we get out. We do some skeet shooting, you know, the clay targets. So much fun. We then have a completely catered lunch at the clay target joint, right? The, the limo comes back, the boot all the ice bars, everything full of alcohol, right? This is where we're at now. So we've done some, some skeet shooting. The bloke who was supposed to be the photographer actually won the whole thing because he's an online gamer and he's got the fucking shooting ability of like a sniper from World War II apparently. All good, bro. Should be taking photos, right? Nah, I'm fucking around. So we then got back into the limo and we went to Fremantle where everyone then found out that we're getting a matching tattoo. And in that car ride, we had to decide, right, everyone's getting at the same spot as well. So where's the spot going to be? And to my disgust, they decided they're going to get it on their hand, right? And I get it. I'm covered in tattoos. What do I care about a hand tattoo? I'm actually, you know, like undiagnosed, you know, OCD and having a tattoo that isn't matched on the other side 
really, really annoys me. I mean, even having gaps on this arm and not on that arm drives me insane, but I have to live with it every day. And that's fine. But now I've also have this hand tattoo on my thumb, which by the way, when you've got the top of your hand tattooed, this is where you do all the writing on your hand. When someone tells you something you got to remember and you're like writing on your hand, that's the spot. Now I've got a tattoo there as well. Cool. Now I've got to learn how to write left-handed. Thanks guys. So we get to Fremantle. We pull up at, I think it's... um. I don't know what it's called. It's a tattoo shop. We pull up there. Sevitaliano, one by... He breaks us into two groups. The first half, get their tattoos, while the other half goes to an arcade down at Holy Moly. We're doing mini golf. We're doing the arcade. We're doing bowling, having heaps of fun. And then when those tattoos are done, they swap over. The other six get their tattoos and the other crew go and do the arcade. We all jump back into the limo, drive home, and that was day done. Now that cost $500 for the participants. And during that, all the blokes said, hey man, if you said this is $1,000, we'd do it. So I'm thinking like, let's just charge $1,000. Let's see who's interested. And then that means that if I get 10 blokes who have $1,000 put in each, I then have a $10,000 kitty rather than $5,000, which means the things that we can do are more bizarre again. Now, truth be told, a limousine, 11 tattoos, a fully catered lunch, skeet shooting, and full access to an arcade with the bowling, with the mini golf, with all the arcade games and stuff, is a lot more than $5,000, which is the kitty that I had to spend for those guys. With that said, love a challenge. I love making something that's absolutely like actually unbelievable. So now I have the task of putting on team building day number two, which is probably gonna be happening in the next month, is gonna cost $1,000. And as this video is being watched right now, I can pretty much guarantee you that there is no spare spaces. But if you do have interest in this, please reach out. And if there is any sort of space or opportunity for you, I will make sure that you can have access to it. Now, with that said, I say that it probably won't be available because the people that went before are most likely gonna wanna do it again. They understand what the value is upfront. And also, let's just understand, right, that right now it's easy for me to sell those 10 positions at $1,000 a piece. Go back to before when I was trying to sell 10 positions at $500 a piece when this had never been done before. Let me say that again. Nobody had done a black ink team building day. Nobody had done this thing where you just pay and as an adult, you go have heaps of fun with no idea what's gonna be happening, okay? I did this as a crossover between year seven camp and a bucks do. You know those days that you have where everybody has an absolutely fat time, but you're there for a reason? You're like, yeah, we're here because such and such is getting married. At the end of the day, we go back to our normal lives. You're allowed to actually have the wildest, funnest day for no reason other than you're an adult and you like having fun, right? So I see myself in this position where I actually have time and the ability to make these things happen and fucking forget making a dollar. Think about making an experience that people have for the rest of their lives, Think about matching tattoos that you and nine other people in the world have and it symbolizes this absolutely unexplainable day that you had together for no reason other than you're a bad motherfucker and you like having fun. Dude, that's what's up, right? So heading into this Black Ink team building day number two, I know I've got at least 10 guys who are rip roaring ready to go. I have the friends of those guys saying, hey, next time this happens, put me in the group chat, right? So I've then got a list of people waiting and now I'm gonna have a list of people that understand from the last time I saw it going like, oh, actually, yeah, like, so how do I be involved in that, right? 
So I'm very excited to announce that Black Ink Team Building Day is on the horizon. I'm probably about two or three days from starting that group chat as this is recorded. It is the 30th of August, 2023. So you can cross-reference that to whatever day it is right now for you. But basically, I would say that those positions excuse me, are taken and you can look forward to watching those stories on Instagram and Facebook. I will say this though, I think there's a, um, a ba, 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 ba. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what I, <coughs> I'll tell you what I'm experiencing in-house. I think since the event, I went so hard at marketing the event and I went so uh, kind of deep into forcing myself to be creative and to come up with content to market the event that I got a little bit lost in the source with Instagram and Facebook and YouTube and all the rest. Thus, this kind of big gap in podcasts and I would say reasonable, valuable content on my pages. Um, I did identify in my, I think I went to say this earlier, but I completely forgot it. I did identify in my uh, reflection on Monday that I feel back. I feel like I'm back. Because I was, I was working all night the nights leading up to that event. I was obviously creating like two, three, four pieces of content a day. Most of them were videos. I was pushing as hard as I possibly can on every angle, you know, promoting ambassadors, making sure that everyone's doing their job, making sure that all the people that were involved were going to tie in well for this event, that I was just tired. I was just tired. And leading up to this event in making the decision to do it and then obviously going through all the, the, the process of talking to people and coming up with all these ideas and putting them into action and all the rest, like it is a tolling experience. And it's definitely something that, you know, when you're doing it, when you're in it and that event, you know, for the four or five hours it was happening, it was like, wow, this is magic, but it comes at a cost. That cost is fatigue, energy and creativity. And I feel like after that kind of threat, and also I have a lot of people helping me. I thank all those people. Special thanks to Larissa, my partner. Special thanks to Gage Edgecombe who helped me put together the the event. He was the, the main source and everything that happened. Obviously to all of my creditors, obviously to all of my customers and all the people who filled in all the gaps. So effectively the outside uh, contractors and everything that came together for me. Of course, Paul Stubber who owns that building and Bar 31 who allowed all of this to happen in the Balan community space. But dude, it's me, it's me, right? Like I'm the one who starts and ends all the conversations. I'm the one who pulls all the bricks together and makes sure the glue, you know, you know, the mortar sticks them together. It's me. So, and I say this because deep down I believe it's not me. I say this because I'm trying to convince me that it's me so that it's okay to have time off, that it's okay to not post on Instagram, that it's okay to not fucking show up for everyone every day, right? Because at the foot of all this, at the foundation of everything that I'm creating, there is some sort of desire to please everyone, to impress people, for them to go, wow, you did that, right? And I don't know whether it's, you know, because I'm an only child that traveled around endlessly until my fucking 10th birthday before we settled here in Bunbury and I had this need to continuously get new friends and to impress them and to hold on to them and then forget them and get new ones or I'm not going to get deep and sad on you right now, but there is something there that makes me want to just impress people all the time. And I feel like I impressed myself, I impressed everyone, but also like, I didn't realize that I also like, like I deserve like an applause, you know? Not from anyone else, from me. Like you did it, bro, you did it. And like part of an applause is recognition that you're tired. It's recognition that this is good and it came at a cost and you paid that price. 
And you're now you're now allowed to just fucking you know, yeah, you got a bit of debt, you gotta sort that out, and you, you know, you gotta put the stuff online, you gotta keep selling, and you gotta keep doing the black ink thing. But dude, just sleep in. Just relax, go ride your bike, call your nana, it's all good, it doesn't matter, you know? And I did that. That's real hard. That's real hard. When you're pushing for one percent better every day and you're step three on a hundred step path, that's hard. I'm not asking for your sympathy, I'm just being transparent and vulnerable, remember? And I did, I let myself just chill for three weeks. You know? It was fun, it was fun. But man, am I back now. I'm back, I'm energetic, I'm excited. I've got this team building day coming up. I've got a real good grip on what I want the next event to look like. I, um, I've already started working on designs. I do feel this fresh, this this fresh a breath of fresh air like kind of just like slowly kind of rising me up and elevating me and like you know getting that thing back where i'm just energetic for 16 hours a day i'm happy to wake up at 4 30 and just pray and get into creating and make it happen you know so it's cool because also one thing about letting yourself relax and just drop the ball and like recuperate and re-energize and recover is the fear that you're not going to come back the fear that the energy and the thing that people are, are enamored by is a consistency of that output, the consistency of the motivation and the consistency of you showing up and doing things like, wow, wow, wow. But the reality is, if you're gonna wake up bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, then you have to go to bed early. If you are gonna have energy, then you have to recover, right? And if you're gonna make progress, you have to have failure. And failure to me is stopping for three weeks and just, you know, Re resetting and what's that word? I'm like, uh, resetting, who cares? It's going to annoy me watching this back because it'll be like, it was, this was the word, Duh, you know? So it's an exciting, it's an exciting space for me at the moment. It's an exciting time for Black Ink. I'm definitely in the golden years. I'm definitely in the growth phase. I'm definitely having fun. I'm definitely creative and I'm definitely learning every day, which is all that fucking matters, right? Now you've come this far, so I feel it's only fair to get to the most important part. Uh, okay, cool. So let me get my composure here. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to officially take this opportunity to let you know that regardless of all of the rumors of all of the speculation and things that I've been hearing, uh, I have decided that I will not be running for council this year. And I apologize because to be honest, it's not necessarily me being on council that's valuable. It's somebody like me being on council that is valuable. It's someone that doesn't have a fixed interest on the vision. It's someone that is willing to accept that they are learning, they are, they are an apprentice of life in that position. It's the fact that someone who has youth on their side and while some people see a wealth of experience and history as a strength, I believe in the new world that we're seeing of AI and technology and all of that, not having experience as a strength because the future leaders are not going to be those who have a wealth of experience to base their decisions off because we're basically saying that that doesn't really matter anyway. 
It's going to be those who can adapt to the changing times and the rapid pace that they're going to change, right? So if that's the case, probably asking, Jake, why aren't you running for council? Brilliant question. Thank you for asking. It's because I think I'm more valuable to Bunbury as a business owner than I am as a councilman. My mission for this town is to create and add more value to citizens, to my customers, to my audience, to my friends, and ultimately to the family that I want to have here one day. Now, I can't add that value if I'm answering pointless questions as a councilman. And I'll elaborate what I mean by pointless questions. It's not necessarily the questions that come through are pointless. It's the fact that if I want to make real action and change in this town, I can do that without any sort of road, without any speed bump, without any obligation, sorry, obstruction as a businessman. I can go and make a team building, team building day today. I can go and create the next event today. I can do all these things today. And the people that I ask for permission to do these things are the city, the council, right? So as a businessman, I get to ask questions. As a councilman, I have to answer them. So as far as I'm, I'm concerned, while I have my youth, while I have my energy, and this creative flame within me is roaring in the nature that it is, then it makes more sense to me to remain a businessman to continue to grow my arsenal of people around me, of business owners, of information, of opportunity, and to stay true to that, adding value to this community to one day create a space that I really want my family to live, right? I just feel that as a councilman right now, it would choke me, it would hold me back. And I feel like, especially with the infrastructure of the council people that are in there at the moment, I would be one strong link mixed in with a bunch of different strength links. I'm not going to say anything that's derogatory of the people who are in there right now. I just believe that if we look at who's in there now and we look at a perfect universe, they're two very different realities. And it's not because the people in there are ineffective or what they do or whatever it might be. I just think that there are ways of doing it better. And I think the first way of doing it better is having a team of people who have similar interests rather than people who are interested in figuring out the differences between them. Right? I'm not going to break down exactly which conversations and comments that I think are pointless. But I think there is a lot of dialogue in the council at the moment that is wasting time because we have such a great location. Bunbury is an asset to the Southwest, to Western Australia, and to Australia in general. We have something that is so magical, so aesthetically beautiful, and we are wasting time with shit that doesn't matter. And I don't want to get into council and have these pointless conversations with these people about shit that doesn't move the needle. I'd rather wait two or four years and go in with a team of people, a team of youth, a team of visionaries, creative geniuses that can actually make this into the oasis that it should be and not meander with things that are important to the other council people. Let's talk about shit that's important to the constituents. Let's talk about shit that's important to the world stage. Because I don't know if you've been for a walk in Bunbury lately when it's been like 5.30 at night and you're walking down Kambana and you see two dolphins having a feed. Okay? I don't know if you've been for a chill sunset walk along Back Beach and had one of those magical orange and purple sunsets. Right? I don't know if you've gone to the top of the Churchill and looked out 
at how much Bunbury has on offer or whether you've been to Ferguson Valley and driven through the hills and had beautiful wine that was made there. Right? Like there is so much. I'm not going to keep rattling stuff off because you know why. (laughs) And also, if you're a Bunbury resident, you know. So I think there is great potential for me in the future as someone who helps with the decisions of this town, the city. But I think right now, I'm better off just doing things like the team building day, like the summer workshop, like helping keep this city clean, like continuing to run my social scape, continuing to add that value into the community that's real and tangible, right? Because you know where I am every Monday and Thursday at 5.30? I'm in the VAT2 car park for my social scape, where people go, where I have people who as part of their routine, they come for a skate twice a week or once a week now, right? You think, oh, you're going for a skate, whatever. No, no, I'm giving them something to belong to. I give them something to look forward to. They get to progress their skating skills. Shit, I've seen relationships start in this group. I have I have seen people's life trajectory change because they came to this group. And God damn it, that's what, that's what community is. That's exciting. That's real. And you know, 60% of the time, I don't want to go down to that skate because I've had a big day and I just can't be bothered being social. Maybe I've had some of my medicinal shit. I'm not in the mood for it. And you know what happens? I get down there and I continue the conversation that I had with Janine that I started six weeks ago and we've just added to bit by bit by bit every Monday and Thursday. And I see Ben and he tells me about what's going on in his day. And I see Josh and I tell him about this thing that I saw the other day and I, he should see it and, and let me know when you've seen it and report back. And I see Elise and she tells me what she got up to in Perth over the weekend. And I know that because on Thursday she told me she was going to Perth. And then you realize that community is the conversation. Community is the continuity of a thing. Community is the belonging. Right? And this isn't all, you know, like, wow, Jake, you're such a fucking bad man because you do all these great things for the city. It's like, no, no, no. I'm just trying to be the sort of motherfucker that I want my son or daughter to look up to. Right? I'm trying to figure out which of these tenants in life are actually important and stick to them. And that's why I say someone like me belongs in council. Because it's not that I am brilliant. It's a fact that I'm trying to be brilliant in whatever that looks like. I'm happy to be proven wrong. I'm happy to progress. In fact, I give myself permission and an expectation to progress. That is, you know, whatever. I sell t-shirts for a living. Don't listen to me, bro. Don't listen to me, bro. Woo! That's what's up. Now, I got a little... um. I got heaps of stuff. So we we basically covered the podcast thing. Bang, bang, bang. Oh, my pen must be dead. No? The team building day we've done. The social skate we talked about. Hat press we talked about. The council we've talked about. Yeah, I mean, look. There's two There's two things. Okay, real quick. I've just... um. So my mum is actually a bookkeeper, right? She's not a bookkeeper. She knows how to do bookkeeping because she's smart as fuck, right? And she's just been in multiple situations where actually she might have an accounting certificate, you know, which, yeah, which makes you... She might be a certified bookkeeper. I'm not sure. She's super good at um, problem solving. She's super good at, you know, like... What's, I'm not sure what you would call the, the overbearing category where it's like, you know, here's a bunch of things over here, here's a bunch of things over there, now you need to line them up. And she's really good at connecting the dots and, and like completing a narrative and balancing stuff. So as far as I'm concerned, when I had the conversation, like I really should, you know, get into my book work, rah, 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 and then I was like, 
wait, I can just make you uh, an admin on my zero, and then you can do my book work. She's like, yeah, yeah, no, I could do that. I could. I was like, sweet, I'll do that right now for you. So I've like done it for her. 18 months of bookkeeping to catch up on and like absolutely fucking horrible practices that I've just taken on board as part of my usual practice. Not because I'm an idiot, but because like I didn't have any other practices to fall back on. And they were just the first thing that I was like, oh yeah, cool. You just make an invoice and send it and someone pays it. And that's sweet. And your mum's like, you're not charging GST on shit. And why aren't they don't, why don't they have a full profile? And like, I need to know who the point being is we're now at the point where I've entered most of my receipts manually. She's lined all of my reconciliation mostly up and even then it's like not even halfway done but you know once you understand the practice or the exercise of getting it done you're like oh, okay cool now i've just got to go through and actually do it i don't have to figure out how to do it um but yeah we're, we're starting to actually make some progress with this and i think well not i think mum has actually admitted that she fully enjoys doing the book work for my business so it's really cool because having mum in that situation, I know I've got someone who's fully invested in my success, who isn't going to let anything pass by that watchful eye of hers. And also it gives me yet another reason to talk to my mum more on the phone. So absolutely win, win, win. Super excited about that little progress in my business. And that is honestly one of those things where it's completely back of house. You don't see it at all. Like I talk about it a little bit on Instagram being silly, but the reality is like that there is such a important part of the business that I now get to tie my mum into and hopefully I can generate enough cash flow at some point where I can actually pay her for that position. So that's super exciting. That's kind of been the flavor of the week for me this week. I spent all day yesterday entering receipts and stuff. But um, yeah, yeah. So thank you, mum. I appreciate all your time and effort and I hope we continue to march forward in getting everything reconciled on my damn zero. Now, one thing I did want to talk about that's happened since I last spoke on the podcast is I sold my Ranger and I purchased a Toyota Hiace commuter van. The original intention of getting a van was basically just having something that I could, you know, use. I could use, you know, like when I've always been a very practical person. So when it comes to a vehicle, I don't want an impressive vehicle. I don't want to say, wow, look at, oh, look how big the wheels are, man. Like, I don't really care about all that. I just need it to do the job that it needs to do. So I bought a four-wheel drive because I was towing a caravan. I got a space cab because I was never going to be having people in the back, but I wanted part of the cab that I could put stuff in that I could lock up and know it's completely safe. I wanted a well body with a canopy because again, I want to be able to put stuff in the back and lock it up. And I want to be able to put a rack on the top so I can carry a boat or whatever I want needs to have a bull bar because we're going to be traveling. It needs to have, you know, decent wheels because we may be going off-road on occasion, which I did do with the with the caravan. Even then, I didn't get massive wheels. I just got all-terrain wheels and steelies. Um, my caravan was like, right, we need a caravan to live in. It was $3,000, sold it for twelve afterwards, no big deal. Um, but it was just, you know, a mid-80s caravan with everything that we needed to live in it. Cool, right? So I was like, right, I need a van because I'm putting stuff in and out of the back of my ute all the time. And I can't lock the back of the ute properly. I could only lock one side of the, the canopy. I couldn't lock both. And on top of that, I'm having this constant battle where, you know, if I want to put my bike in the back, well, I need to take this out. If I want to put this, if I want to go, you know, doing roadside pickup, you got to take your bike out, take all the straps out. So you've got a maximum amount of room as possible. So I was just like, I need a van. I need a van because also I'm borrowing my mate's motorbike trailer for every time that we want to take our motorbike. Somewhere you put them on the trailer, you have to back onto it, hook it up, strap them down. <coughs> All the bullshit, right? So I'm like, a van is the way to go. 
So I just need a van that's big enough to put a motorbike in. That's my main concern. And then I know if I can put a motorbike in there, I can do everything else that I want to do. So I started doing a little bit of a little bit of research, and uh, I took my my Ranger. So just to give you some idea, it's a 2011 PK Space Cab Ranger with a well-body canopy um, rack over the canopy, which means you can boat stuff, whatever you want. It's got the the steelies with the all-terrains, bull bar, UHF, spotties, dual, ca- uh, dual battery system with the fucking red arc bullshit, power in the back, lights in the back, tow bar, um, had the Anderson plug underneath for external um, 12-volt power, trailer plug, um, trailer brakes, had all the stuff, right? So I took it to the car yard and they're like, yeah, we'll give you two grand for it. I'm like, hey man, do you think you can fit all of my shit in your mouth at once? Do you think? Do you want me to get it out so you can try? Huh? Two grand? Are you fucking kidding me? Anyway. Oh, and it's got 350,000 Ks. But anyone who knows those PK 3 point, no, three liter turbo diesel engines knows that she just get warmed up. She's just about ready to start fucking thrashing. You understand 350,000 Ks is not a lot of Ks for A, a diesel engine, and B, that Ford diesel engine, right? They do super well. It's only the PXs that started to have troubles with their transmissions and stuff like that. The PK is a great vehicle. Regardless, during the COVID peak, I know I could get about 19, 20 grand for this vehicle, which I paid $9,000 for it way back when. It was an ex-Shire vehicle, so it had one driver for the you know for the 200,000 k's that it had done at the time and I was like brilliant this is exactly what I need we'll use it I probably spent another three four five six grand on it whatever it was as you do with vehicles in general so I was like cool if I can get 20 for it I'll be stoked more importantly if it is a practical trade I will take anything for it if I can get the next vehicle that I want I don't care about making money I don't care I don't care about losing money I just care about getting the vehicle that I need to do the job right so I'm going to make this long story short. I looked for a van for about five weeks. Um, and obviously when I say look for a van, that's not looking, looking. That's just like you drive past somewhere and they're like, oh, that van there looks perfect. Let's go have a look. Not for me. That van there looks perfect. Let's see if I can get the finance. I can't. That van looks perfect. Oh, it's got this and that. I don't quite fuck with it. This whole time I'm telling my friends I'm looking for a van. Rah, rah, rah. I had this one friend call me up and he goes, hey, dude, I've got a van for you. I said, okay, it's a bit rough around the edges, whatever. My boss wants to sell it. He's taking it to the car yard today. Once we get a price from the car yard, we'll let you know what what the price is, you know, cash sort of thing. And at that point, I was looking at another van. I said, all right, do that. But I am looking at this other van. I'm looking to get finance for it, which I ended up not getting. And uh, then we will go from there. So he goes, cool. They go to the car yard. He comes back and he says, look, my boss wants this amount for it. Uh, he didn't tell me what it was. He goes, he wants this amount for it, which I'm not going to embarrass you and me by asking because I don't believe the van is that is worth that money. So look, thanks, but no thanks. Don't worry about our van. Do whatever you're going to do. So okay. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Love you. I end up not getting that van and I end up looking at another van, which I didn't get. And then he calls me out of the blue. He's like, hey, man, the boss has just said to me that if you want this van, you can have it for the same price that the car yard's going to give us, but it's like a today sort of thing, you know? Like, come get it. I'm like, what'd the car yard offer it for, offer you for it? He goes, uh, six grand. I said, oh, true. What is it? He goes, it's a 2010 Toyota Hiace commuter. It's got 12 seats in it, three liter turbo diesel. You know, it's got fucking 200,000 Ks on it. She's dirty as all fuck, you know. But I mean, six grand is probably a good buy. 
And I'm like, yeah, 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 cool. Okay, yeah, no, I'll think about it. I hang up the phone, I call dad and I'm yelling at him. I'm like, dad, I need six grand. We need to go to Perth right now. I need, I, need, I need to buy this van. Dad, come on. Dad, come on. Long story short, we're in Perth the next day, handing over six grand, purchasing this van, which is covered from head to toe in red dirt. It's got red dirt in every single orifice of this van you can imagine. It's covered in sign writing. It's got the sign writing on the windows and everything. And I was like, I don't care because even if I spend another five on it, I'm still getting it for like half the price of what this thing is worth, right? Now, I originally was asking for $20,000 for my van, uh, for my ute, for my Ranger, which of course the car yard offered me 10% of, which kind of gives you an idea of like, right, they're dreaming and I'm dreaming. There's gotta be a spot somewhere in the middle. So I advertised the Ranger for 12 grand. I dropped down to 11 and a half. Then I drop it down to 10. And then I get to this position where I bought a van with my dad's money and I've got my Ranger that I just need to sell. Now I'm $6,000 out of pocket. So at this point I'm like, look, I'll take fucking eight grand for this. The phone rings. Hello? Dude, I just seen that you dropped the price on that car. My young bloke actually missed out on one of those just last week. I said, oh yeah? Where do you live? Yeah, I live here. So I'll be there in five minutes. I'll show you this car. And I don't know what it is, but I can taste when it's about to happen. Like when my mate called me about the van, he said, you know, it's six grand. I'm like, I know that I'm, I've already bought this van. I've already bought it. I can see it in my mind. I see me driving home in it. When he called me and said, you know, I'm keen on this car. And it's actually, it's crazy. The, the uncanny nature of this whole two transactions of buying the van and selling the, the ute are wild, right? And I, I know it sounds a bit silly, but like down to the amount of fuel left in the van was coincidentally the same amount of fuel that was left in my ute when I sold it. No, no, like I didn't intend for that. It just happened to be that way. The rego ran out, like I sold my ute with the rego running out in two days. I bought the van with the rego due in three days, which worked out to be the exact same day the rego was due on these two vehicles. But the fact that I bought it, bought it with no rego and sold mine with no rego and the rego was due on the same day for both of the vehicles was fucking crazy. I then caught up with the bloke's dad who bought the car off me about two weeks later. And he goes, man, did you ever find that the rear window of the cab didn't quite seal properly? Like, you know, every now and then there'll be one or two drips come in. I said, I, I, yeah, I fucking, I did kind of know that, but I never really did anything about it. I'm sorry I didn't tell you about it sort of thing. The fucking rear window on my van doesn't quite seal properly, so much so that I have to pop it out, fix a bit of rust and put it back in. It's just weird how it happened. Anyway, point was, we get there, he loves the ute. We shook hands on, you know, a verbal agreement that like eight grand, she's all yours, right to go. Long story short, everything was said and done. Both of them transferred, you know, van tra um, transferred into my name, you transferred into his name within a week, done and dusted. And now it's great because I actually still, that the, the bloke's dad comes to my social skates on occasion. I see him around, I've done work for him, done sign writing and stuff for him. So it's just super cool to have this like, like I loved the vehicle and I wasn't selling it because it was there was something wrong with it. I was selling it purely because I practically needed another vehicle. And uh, to know who's got it is awesome. And to see like a young bloke, a P-plater, who's going to go and have all the fun in this rig and, you know, do all the cool shit. It's super exciting. So I'm super stoked that that happened the way it did. And I didn't just end up with a van that can fit 
a motorbike in the back of it. I also ended up with a 12-seater van, a Toyota Hi-Ace commuter, which means that my team building days are now going to be transported with my own vehicle that has black ink sign written on the side of it. Good golly gosh, what have we done here? You know, what have we actually done? So now I have this massive van that yes, I do have the uh, the oddness of driving around in a van when I want to go somewhere. But at the same time, I see it as these two see it as these two massive billboards that have my logo on both sides. So if I'm sitting at the lights, I mean, even not yesterday, but the day before, I went for a, a walk and talk meeting. As I pulled up to the, I was pulling down uh, that main street that has like Fitzroy cycles and stuff on it, and it meets the main street. I realized that the car park right at the end, horizontal to that um, street, there was an empty car park. So I've like pulled in there, pulled the van up. So as you're coming down to the end of that street and you're sitting at the lights, all you can see is black ink. I've like pulled my bike out of the back because it lives in the back because it's a van and it's got heaps of space and ridden to this meeting. It was such a, you know, little things like that. I just, it really makes me happy, you know, and like putting my motorbikes in the back and going to, you know, go stunting or, catch up with people or just transporting stuff around like so far I'm only like four weeks in and I love this van and the fact that I got it in the nature that I did and like I kind of know the the ex-owner of it and I know the people who bought my vehicle it just makes me happy through and through so <sighs> what a beautiful moment in the history of Black Ink that will be I'd like to thank you for joining me in today's podcast I feel like I've uh, added as much possible value to your day as I can if I can give you something to take away from this or maybe even a little action for you to go forth and do. It's call someone that you care about. I know that you know you care about them, but sometimes it's about reminding other people that you care about them. And it's not necessarily about being like, hey man, I care about you, rah, rah, rah. It's really checking in and understanding, helping them understand that they are loved and they are cared for. This might be a parent. It might be your children. It might be a friend. It might be someone you haven't spoken to in a while, brother, whatever it might be. Call them up. Say hello. Let them know you love them. This has been a Black Ink Podcast. My name is Jake Kerr and I am fucking out of here. Yo!